Welcome back to part four of Do Not Be Afraid. Today we're going to be looking at when staying in is the way out. I want to, before we begin, just say thank you for joining us today. Thank you for uh, taking time in your day to be the church and to, uh, if you are new to us, to check us out and check out uh, the good news that comes from Jesus. We pray that this will be an encouragement to you at this time. Now, let me just say this also. If you're regular with us, I miss you. I really wish that you could be here and I could see your face as well. I really do miss you. We owe a great big thank you to the people that have made this possible to bring this kind of content to you. Our staff is amazing. And the volunteers on the worship team, we need to thank them as well that uh, they bring the content to us. Now, before we get into this message, I want to just let you know, next week is Easter. Oh, what a great day of celebration as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All across the globe, we will be celebrating. But how unusual it is that we celebrate this event in a way that, in my lifetime, it's never been done this way, where we are kind of separated and staying in and gathering at a kind of a digital distance and and connecting with this physical safety barrier between us uh, at this time. Well, because it's so unusual, I decided to start a new series on Easter, and it's an unusual Easter thing to do, but it seems appropriate for the time. I'm going to start a series that's called Barriers. We're going to tackle really hard questions just head on, the kind of questions that cause people to stumble over the idea of God, stumble in their faith and think there cannot be a God. And on Easter, we're going to tackle maybe one of the biggest questions that causes people to stumble and particularly at this time. Maybe it's been a hard one for you. And here's the question we're going to be looking at. How could a loving God allow so much suffering? How could a loving God allow so much suffering? And so we're going to have kind of an Easter look at that question and bring some encouraging answers to that question. I think that for some, rather than this question being a barrier to their faith, it will, maybe you can not only hurdle over that barrier, but this very question becomes a signpost that increases your faith. I pray that that would be so. So this next week is a great time to consider inviting somebody to join you and uh, watch and celebrate. And maybe this is their very question and they just want to check out what kind of answers are available to a tough question like that. So let's get into this message when staying in is the way out. It's not just our governor who has issued his executive orders for us to be staying in. Uh, That's not the only person that's done this across uh, the nation, of course, but I couldn't help but think that in history, we have heard God issue similar executive orders, uh, order to stay in. And we're going to be taking a look at the Passover event as uh, that event where he told his people to stay in, that staying in is the way out. And we're going to look at some interesting comparisons and contrast. Before we jump into that message, um, there is a prayer that is circulating, that is circulating all across America right now. Pastors are joining together in this prayer. I've been praying this prayer with pastors, and I want us together to join in on this prayer together. So join me. Let's pray. Dear God, 
It's your name that is honored from generation to generation. You alone are worthy of all glory and praise. And you are not shocked by the state of the world right now. Your ways are not our ways. And you are not at a loss about what to do. Nothing is impossible for you. So today we are proclaiming that you will be glorified through this pandemic. That your name will be known and praised throughout the earth. Pierce the darkness with your light. Shine brighter than the fear of death, economic ruin, or a long quarantine. When we look back on this moment in history, would we be filled with joy as we remember the revival, hope, and peace that came out of this season? Continue to draw this hurting world back to you. God, you alone are worthy of honor, glory, and praise. With you, we can overcome every storm, including COVID-19. Right now, we are asking you to heal those who are sick and protect those who are not. Give our leaders extra wisdom as they navigate this pandemic and economic uncertainty. Strengthen your global church. Reveal to us how we can partner together to reach the needs of those around us. Calm our fears. Fill us with your hope, joy, and peace as we continue to trust in you. Use this pandemic to pave the way for spiritual renewal. We want your glory, power, and healing to be on display. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be jumping into the Story of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible, and it is a foundational story that sets up all the rest that follows in the Bible. If you're not familiar with the event that I was referring to when God issued his executive orders for his chosen people who were in Egyptian bondage in slavery at this time frame and had been for centuries, and finally he was going to release them as he promised he would and make them into a nation. There was a series of plagues, 10 of them actually, and the event that we're going to be looking at is the last in the series. Moses was told by God to be the deliverer. Moses was given specific instructions to predict each and every plague before Pharaoh. And with these detailed predictions, Pharaoh kept uh, refusing to yield to the Israelite God and uh, following his own Egyptian false gods. And God was going to show who he was and reveal not only to the Egyptians who he was, but to his own uh, dispirited uh, people that were disheartened that he himself is their God, their deliverer, their Lord, and somebody worth trusting and following. And so through a series of plagues, he began to demonstrate that he is the Almighty. So we arrive at the last plague, and we read about this one in Exodus 12. Now, if you want to read uh, more about this, you want to probably take time to read at least Exodus 4 through 12 to capture the flavor of what's going on. And yes, it's controversial, but it's very, very powerful. Let's take a look. In Exodus 12, starting at verse 21, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, 
Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. This had never been said uh, before. They didn't even know what a Passover lamb was, but this is a Passover event that's being described. That's the f- only occasion that this took place. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. We're skipping down to verse 26 and we read, And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So as we evaluate this 10th plague, the passing over of the destroyer who brought death into each home, and it was only the death of a firstborn, and there was already an alert and a warning that this would take place, We come to some conclusions and I just want to put a headline over those conclusions before we kind of look at those conclusions. Point number one, science cannot explain the Passover. Science cannot explain the Passover. So there are four things that make it clear that science doesn't have an explanation for this and here are the four things. This was not a disease that caused the death of the firstborn all through Egypt that night. Every detail was predicted before the first case. It all happened in one night and the remedy was not medicinal. So let's take a look at each of those concepts uh, briefly as we move along here. This was not a disease. A disease doesn't just attack the firstborn child in every home. That no virus, no disease is, is that discriminate or can differentiate between a firstborn and every other person. Now, why the firstborn? You can take a look in Exodus chapter 4 and you discover that God considered Israel like a firstborn child and he said, if you do not let them go, I will attack your firstborn. And there was plenty of warning, uh, but Egypt and the Pharaoh refused to heed the warning. Now, when I say plenty of warning, that wasn't just warning about this 10th plague. There was specific warning about each and every plague. So at least 10 warnings, where in the nine cases, the warnings were so specific and they came true exactly as predicted and every time they could have avoided it, every time they failed to really let the people go because it would have been an economic nightmare to do so for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They refused, they refused, they refused to let all of this vast number of Israelites who were their slaves be released and so they refused. And so on each case, there was evidence that what was predicted would take place, but even still, now that the 10th prediction takes place, the Pharaoh refuses to do anything different and just rides through the mess. It's almost like he chooses judgment 
instead of avoiding the judgment. So this is not a disease. Now, every detail was predicted before the first case. Now, there's a lot of predictions going on as it relates to COVID-19. There's predictions all over the place as to how long it'll last and what will take place and how many will die, etc., etc. But those are just predictions based on studying the evidence after the case manifests and after you can watch the pattern and predict and track what will take place and make guesses on the evidence. This is nothing like that. Nothing has happened. There's not a single case. And the prediction is, in one night, this will happen. And so there's no evidence to study, and yet the prediction came precisely true. Every detail was predicted before the first case. It all happened in one night. So everybody's well, and then in every household that refused to apply the remedy that God provided, there was death in the house. Everyone who was a firstborn would die. And so there was no catching it. There was no incubation period. There's no warning. There's just all of this happening in one night. This is no disease. This is no virus. Now, the you can see we're doing a contrast. I'm not saying this is what we're experiencing. I'm not even saying this is a judgment of God. I'm not sure exactly how to place all of this together. But I am saying there is a staying in that is the way out. As our governor says, staying in is the way out for COVID-19. There's a staying in that is the way out that God describes in a relationship with him as well. That's the comparison that I'm trying to bring out. And it's very, very powerful comparison when you start to consider it. The remedy was not medicinal. The precise description of the remedy is weird. You take some hyssop, you... Uh, Slice the throat of a lamb. You drain the, the blood of the lamb into a basin. You take the blood from that basin with a hyssop branch and you take it and you splatter the blood on a doorpost uh, in, of your house. And when, if you got the blood in the, on the door jams on the right and the left and the above the header, then that household will be safe. And the firstborn that stays in that household will be safe. This is not a medicinal remedy. This is something quite different. And we want to take a look at what that is all about together and allow our faith to increase in an almighty that plans things out for the long haul, for the big picture. And so let's take a look at this. What I want us to see is something that even after the fact and for hundreds of years, the is Israelites who celebrated every year they're coming out of Egypt and celebrating God being their savior and deliver every year they would do this meal called the Passover meal and remember their deliverance that night. And by the way, that night uh, they partake in a meal and the way they partook in a meal was to gird up their loins, which means they took their robes and tucked it into their belts. It's like if this meal was anything, it was fast food. I mean, it was like, you're going to be eating in such a way where you're ready to leave because this is getting ready to leave meal and this is the night. It's a scary night. There's death all about, but this is what God is doing to help us get ready to leave. And they would celebrate what God did miraculously then for hundreds of years, a thousand plus 
before the coming of Jesus. What I want us to see is what they didn't even know, how all this weirdness fit together in God's long view of things and how he put it together. Point number two, Jesus became our Passover lamb. Jesus became our Passover lamb. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, we read, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if that's not explicit enough, we see in Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So Paul is used to the connection between what Jesus did and the Passover, and he's bringing out some points, and now he's actually stating some very explicit statement. Christ, that is Jesus, who is the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, this Jesus is our Passover lamb. He has been sacrificed. So I want to take that statement and kind of help put it together so we can see what God was doing in that one unnerving night at the Passover event. This is an amazing comparison. So let's go back to Exodus 12, 22, where we read, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. I underline the word put here because that word can be translated uh, put or touch or touch violently or even strike. And so it's interesting to me uh, that this word is chosen. I want to show you um, how the King James reads just to show you uh, the word strike there. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. Now, what's the deal here? Is that any big deal? Is that just a translation oddity? Uh, I don't think so. I want to show you in Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. That underlying word there, stricken, is the same word as put in that other translation. Put this blood on the lentils. So put wouldn't fit in this context. We esteemed him put, smitten by God. We esteemed him painted on, no, touched, no. Stricken is the only allowable word here for the same word. So what's a big deal here? So I got a couple of quotes to just get us thinking and kind of get fired up uh, quickly over this concept. What's the big deal whether in the Passover remedy was something you painted on with a brush or put on or you strike it on the door? And here's what I see. I see three bloody dripping stains in rough hewn wood that were struck on a door frame. And there were three bloody dripping stains in rough hewn wood that were struck on Good Friday as well. The cross was struck in three places with three spikes, leaving bloody dripping stains on rough hewn wood. And now some people say, Jim, you're really stretching it here. 
Am I? I'm going to show you some more things to show you why I don't believe I'm stretching it at all. Hyssop, basin. Picture me with a, a, a hyssop branch in the basin. I take the blood and I strike it on the top and I take the blood and I strike it on the right and then I strike it on the left. I've got, even where I've struck the rough-hewn wood in the three bloody spots, there's an invisible cross hanging in the frame of the door. And it's three bloody stain marks on rough-hewn wood. Oh, Jim, you're still really stretching it. Am I? Point number three. Stay in Jesus. He's our way out. Stay in Jesus. He's our way out. I will show you a little bit more about what Jesus claims because Jesus claims to be a door. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 9, we read, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. A door to what? Jesus is a door to safety, a door to his Father, he said later in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through, through me. That's doorway language, but it's also through the reality of who he is. He says, I am the door. Now to switch metaphors a little bit, but still talking about staying in, in John 15, 6, we read, if you do not remain in me, that is stay in me, Jesus says, if you don't abide in me, some translations say, if you don't stay in me, if you don't remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. I would encourage you to read all of John 15, where he's talking about how he is the true vine and we are the branches. Our life and the fruit of our life comes from him as a source and he says unless you stay in me you're not going to continue to have that life flowing through you if you no longer stay in me you're going to be a withered branch and he has some warnings there so staying in Jesus is our way out now here's a little bit more when Jesus died uh, on the cross both Matthew and Luke talk about the moment that he died the temple curtain ripped open. Matthew talks about how it ripped open from the top to the bottom during this earthquake at the moment Jesus died on the cross. And then Luke talks about it ripping open. This was the heavy curtain that separated access into the holy place of where God was. It, only priests were allowed to go through. But the moment Jesus died on the cross, access has been opened. It has been ripped open by God himself because Jesus, the doorway, is now opening the way for us to have access with God. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 10 talks about how this curtain is like a veil that keeps us so that we can't really know and see God and approach God. But this veil, this curtain is Jesus's body. So it's through Jesus's body, his, him as the door, through his death and shed blood as the Passover lamb that we have access to a personal relationship with God where we no longer have to go through a temple system and through a sacrificial system, which the Passover was the first of the sacrificial system that became official for the Israelites before they even had a temple. And now 
Jesus is fulfilling it. He is the Passover lamb. He is the sacrifice. One more thing that's a connection with the hyssop branch. Here's a quote. A hyssop branch was raised to door frames in Exodus and to a door framed in a cross in the gospel good news. I want to read that for you in John chapter 19. Starting at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, I'm just amazed by this, how God takes such intricate detail that no human writer can piece together because the human writer of Exodus is removed from the gospel of John by 1,500 years, and how you have no Israelite seeing where this is all going, even when the Isaiah prophecy is written about the suffering servant being stricken, in their day, they didn't know the suffering servant was the glorified Christ, the Messiah. They never expected the Messiah to be crucified. And yet here he is, smitten by God, punished for us. The iniquity of us all is laid on him, the Passover lamb, so that we could be released. So when the destroyer passes over, he passes over us. Why? Because the judgment has already come upon him. This is amazing to the detail that hyssop is there again, being raised up to the human body of Jesus, the door, framed in the cross with the three bloody, stricken bloodstains on the cross, just like the three stricken bloodstains on the door of Exodus. Do not fear. Jesus is in charge. God is sovereign and he's not surprised. He knows the future before it happens. He's planning that this massive suffering event somehow is going to be worth it in Jesus. And I don't understand what's going to take place, but I do know that we can advance the gospel at this time like never before, even with means like this. And we need to see that God is in charge. His ways are not our ways. He's going to work things out and we are safe as long as we're inside. Inside a covenant, inside of Jesus, inside of his life, his life inside of us. Staying inside is our way out. So once again, as we come to a conclusion, we're going to (laughs) take communion together, which is amazing to me because communion came out of The Passover, Jesus celebrated a day early because he knew he wasn't going to be available on the actual day because he was the Passover lamb. As the lambs were being eaten and sacrificed, he was dying on the cross. The Passover lamb celebrated early with his disciples in the Passover meal and said, this is my body. This is my blood. Whenever you do this, now do this in remembrance of me. Not in remembrance of Exodus, but in remembrance of Easter. Exodus and Easter has a connection. I can't wait to join you next week to talk about the resurrection power of Jesus. But for now, let's read 
1 Corinthians 11.25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So if you can take an unleavened wafer, which was the, what was used in the Passover, and you can take a cup of fruit of the vine, grapes that looks like blood, and remember what Jesus did. He, by giving up his life, hanging in bodily form on a cross, opened a door that you can walk into. His sin, disease, conquering death takes your sin away. And his resurrection life can enter into you. You can stay in his victorious life and stay safe. Now I'm going to hand it over to Matt to give us some exciting things that we can do. This is all a message where we begin to elevate our faith. Matt's going to give us some things that we can do that will encourage so many around us. I'll help you uh, hear it and maybe think about doing some of the things that he's suggesting. Here's Matt. Hey everyone, I have something to share with you this morning that I'm just so excited about. But before I tell you any more, um, I need to give you just a little bit of a backstory. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we started to just kind of wrap our heads around the reality that we were not going to be able to meet together physically as a church on Easter Sunday. And that was just a challenging thing for us. I think the response and the reaction on the part of some of our staff and leadership, um, more than anything, was just kind of to be sad, uh, really. We feel like Easter, out of maybe any other day in the whole calendar, Easter is one of those days where we just want to be together as a body and want to be together as a family, to worship together, uh, to take communion together, to um, honor and glorify our risen savior together um and it, so it was it was sad for us when we re recognized that we were not going to be able to, to do that in the ways that we traditionally have done it um in the past and so next sunday um april 12th is easter and we're not going to be able to meet together however we uh, came across this idea this week that i just think has the potential to make this easter one of the most amazing celebrations of god's goodness that we've ever shared um, with each other. And so I want to tell you a little bit about that today and tell you what it's going to look like this week is you can kind of prepare yourself for us to celebrate together next Sunday. Here's what we're planning to do. Um, we really believe that out of any day, Easter should be the day that we are loudly and boldly proclaiming um, the power of Jesus Christ, um, the power that overcomes death, the power that can overcome the grave. Um, there is a hope that we have because of the power of Jesus. And especially in a time like this, we believe that there's so many people that are looking for hope and looking for something strong to hold onto and to anchor their faith to. And we believe that Jesus is that answer. Um, and if we started to just kind of go around the circle, we believe that there are so many examples of the power of Jesus who has changed life after life after life. And that's the thing that we want to highlight next week. And so how do we do that as a church? How do we celebrate the ways that um, a powerful God has changed lives in miraculous ways? Well, well, uh, we were given this idea and we're going to be partnering with a number of other churches across the nation um, to really just start sharing some stories of God's goodness 
and the life-changing power of Jesus. Here's how it will work is through this week, over the next uh, six days, we want to give you some training materials to help you um, be ready to share your story. In fact, as soon as you're done watching this today, there's gonna be a link in the comments. Um, there's a spot on our website that you can go to where you can start learning with some tools that we're providing how to share your story and how to share your testimony about what God has done in your life and how Jesus has changed your life. And then what we're planning to do is uh, as you're recording your videos, as you're sharing your story this week, um, we want to get ready next Sunday morning. And on Easter Sunday morning, we just want to begin um, all of us together starting to post short 60 second stories about how Jesus has changed our lives. And we want to just um, share that all over social media. I'm picturing people at home um, all throughout our community who are doing basically the same thing that everyone's doing every day, which is just sitting at home and scrolling on their phone. And imagine if people are at home scrolling on their phone and they just start seeing story after story of how Jesus has changed the lives of people that they know in their community, maybe their friends or coworkers or, or um, people that they've just come across. And we wanna flood um, our community um, with stories of God's goodness and of who God is and of his power to change lives. And so here's how you can be a part of that. Here's how you can be a part of proclaiming the goodness of God to our community um, on Easter Sunday this year. You can start by checking out some of the resources that we want to give you. You can start thinking about your story. You can start writing some things down. We're not looking for anything uh, big or elaborate. 60 seconds is all we're looking for. We've got tools to help you with um, understanding how to put your story into kind of a brief synopsis. But the point is that we just want to proclaim as loudly as we possibly can that we serve a powerful God who has the ability to change lives in a significant way. And we want as many people to know that as possible. Um, next Sunday is gonna be the day that we start posting, whether you post it on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever social media platform you use. Maybe you don't use social media. What a better way to have your first post on Facebook uh, be a story about how Jesus has changed your life. So all we're gonna ask you to do is uh, film a short little story on your phone. We're gonna give you the tools that you need to craft your story. And then we want you to put a little hashtag when you post it. it we just want it to say hashtag Jesus changed my life. And then we want you to put another hashtag that is kind of the one we've been using as a church together that says for the Verde Valley. Um, and then we, we are just, praying together this week. We want you to join us. We cannot wait to see story after story of how Jesus has changed lives in significant ways. Um, and we are believing um, that God is going to use your story to influence your community and the lives of the people around you. We're excited to proclaim God's goodness together next week on Easter, and we hope that you'll join us.